Master Bowman podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. Today's episode is another monthly check-in for June. We're getting real close to season and we're talking about building arrows, proactive decisions around how you're going to deal with the meat and taxidermy, some of the fitness stuff we're doing, and a little bit about scouting. So stay tuned. Three months. You got me on that. I was literally going to say that too. Three months. <laughs> That's, uh, let's put it another way. 12 weeks. That's oh really my. short. Oh, man. Yeah. Dude. It's, it's game time. Oh, I, need to, I need to order elk calls. I, I forgot them at home in, in Bay Area. I'm really looking forward to that episode coming out. <laughs> that, oh my uh, gosh. Yeah, that one. That, uh, that's going to be a good one. But we both got very inspired to, to call. With uh, Paul, the elk nut, hopefully our monthly check-in next month, I'll be making some cow calls here on the episode. <laughs> yep. Oh yeah. No, I've got, I've got one I keep at my desk and I kind of just pop it in every now and then, which isn't great for the call, but you know, things you got to do, right? Yeah. yeah, but uh, this month or this episode, we got a handful of topics. We'll be covering some gear stuff. Um, I, I'm defrosting some meat, so we'll talk a little bit about how to prep that stuff, and then some taxidermy decisions I got to make this before this fall, and then fitness stuff, um, gear side, backpack arrows. Where, where should we start? Yeah, maybe we just do the the arrows since I'm like midway through that. <laughs> oh yeah. So did you decide? <laughs> I have not decided. So just to give people context. I've been shooting the day sixes for two years, the same set of 12 day six arrows for two years. I've shot two elk with two of the 12 arrows. Um, pretty amazing. Those things do not break. And generally speaking, I'm super happy with them and I really love them, um, which means it's time to experiment with something else. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. I just, I came to to buying another, I was about to buy another set and I was like, you should really just try some other things. You know, like that's part of the fun of this whole experiment for me. And just, I just like trying and testing other bits of gear. So, um, I've generally decided to go with, um, the new Easton arrows, the axis four millimeter long range Hmm. reason being they're using a totally new, not totally new. They've been using a different, um, I think they call it poltrusion, but basically they ooh, got to back up every arrow as we've talked about in the arrow episode of folks want to look at that is generally made by wrapping fa- uh, fabric around a rod, just like you roll up a thing, a cloth, right? And that works pretty well. Um, but the problem is it does lead to inconsistencies, especially in the, the length of the rod. Cause as we talked about before, they make arrows by doing this six, seven, eight foot long rod and they cut it down to length. So the shafts were, that were near the end of that, even if they spin perfectly, the fabric inside of them might be kind of crooked. So you get a weird spine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, the spine of the arrow is everything. And so Easton's been using that poltrusion system, which is, have you ever seen a rope made? How they kind of like weave it as it goes through the hole? Well, I haven't seen it made, but it, 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 is it like twisted or braided? Together? Yeah, it's like, they have basically like bobbins. It's like these little round things of string that go into a hole and all get weaved together. Mm-hmm. and Easton does that around the rod. And so basically, instead of just wrapping around it, they're almost like pulled along the rod in this complex weave pattern, hmm. um, which only they, they're doing it here in the US, right? In the Utah f- uh, factory, only they have the technical know-how and ability to really do that. 
Um, and they actually made the axis arrows, the five millimeters that way, and a few others um, that are made in the US in that fashion. And they generally have a really fantastic spine. Um, so, and the durability can be a little, you know, hit or miss if you, the, if you impact the front. But uh, from everyone I've seen and the ones I've seen in the Axis series, it's unbelievable spine consistency. So I, I really want to try those just since they're new this year, the four millimeter version, you know, the, the micro diameter. Um, but <laughs> why I'm not just buying them outright is they come with a half out. And Easton released a titanium half out a year ago uh, just to kind of prep for this, it seems. And then they released an aluminum half out with these. I am really not a fan of half outs. If you hit something crooked with those, it's almost always going to blow through the sidewall of the arrow. Mm. Uh, I just can see tapping an elk shoulder blade or something and the arrow exploding, just hating life. <laughs> uh, so I'm not, not happy with the inserts they've got. So I've been kind of debating what they're doing. And the other thing, this all ties together. The other thing that's a problem is that the shaft is really light. Like a 300 spine oh. is 9.3 grains per inch versus the day sixes are like 11.2. Hmm. Uh, and so I'm shooting a 550 arrow. You know, we've talked countless times about why heavy arrows are the, the only thing that really matters for elk. Well, not the only thing, but like the most important thing when it comes to elk arrows. Right. So I really, really want to keep it above that 500 mark. I'm actually dropping poundage a little this year. I'm like, I just don't need this. Um, mm -hmm. So I want to keep it a little bit above that 500 mark. So oh, I'm not, I'm not going to dive into the deep part of the math, but basically if you drop two grains per inch, 30 inch arrow, it's like 60 grains off. So then you have to add a little more, but then you get front of the like heavy front of center. Oh, right. I've talked about, I'm not a huge fan of front and center. I kind of like to keep it fairly balanced so that the arrow flies straight in the wind and you get good penetration. Um, front of center actually leads to really bad, bad kind of tail kick and wind. So anyway, long story short, I'm still really messing around with what I want to do with the, the front of the arrow. There's the ethics archery inserts, which are really quality, but have, you know, D shoots those. And I've seen him bend three or four of them, even on a five millimeter arrow. Hmm. And I think they're like a 6,000 series aluminum, which is not super strong. So that gives me a little pause. Uh, the day six components, you could just buy those outright, but they're really expensive and they don't really, they're not quite the right fit. It's like a 0 0.241 arrow. And I think they're like two, four, five. So that's a pretty big gap to sand down. Company named Nexus out of Australia is making like a titanium um, outsert system, which is basically, I don't want to say a copy that's aggressive, but inspired by day six <laughs> where they were developing at the same time and they look identical. Um, but that's a little off sizing wise. So I'm just kind of um, going back and forth. Fire Knock actually makes an outsert that's 7,000 7, series aluminum, which is like 86% as strong as steel. So I'm kind of, you know, I might just put it, put the hit insert in the Easton shaft and put that over. I don't know. I'm still messing with it. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to find so, the right combo of weight in front of center and strength. Yeah. Um, so in terms of aero technology, like, is it, is it is it kind of like bows now where it's like if it's gotten pretty dang good and there's not like too much stuff going on or is is it still pretty exciting in that field? Yeah, I mean I think they're still making pretty good breakthroughs really as we talked about in a bunch of the arrow things it's it's the components hmm. that are the weak link to all arrows. Like you can oh. you can get a pretty dang good spine 0 0.001 shaft from a, three or four or five companies now. Mm -hmm. um, so it's not, I'm not saying like the Easton one's the only one. I'm just very curious to try that technology out. Right. Um, 
but it's it's just those components man it's like especially the micros um it would just be such a pity to shoot a heavy stinking arrow like that with a super stout broadhead and just have it snap right at the tip <laughs> that would uh, which is what i've seen with a lot of those other ones where they bend you know they've mm -hmm. got some sort of funky thing going on so, so that's where i'm at i mean i really need to get on it i'm <laughs> like very upset that it's like june and i haven't bought stuff because it's stuff's already out of stock that was the other issue i probably would have just bought the shafts and then figured out the components later but they're all out of stock no surprise covid um so trying to source those has been fun oh um, man uh, so depending on uh availability it may or may not even be an option or totally yeah i may just go back to not go back but build up another batch of the day sixes because yeah how many do you have left good I've got like six or seven. Oh, okay. It was pretty, pretty amazing. I went out and <laughs> shot one into oblivion with my slider. <laughs> <laughs> and then I crushed the back end of one shooting at 40 yards, group shooting at 40 yards. I don't, I just don't group shoot anymore. Um, yeah. That was all within like two days. Oh man. And then, I, uh, then I basically was like halt on all those activities. And for like a year and a half, I never lost one, but I have this thing where I keep one arrow for every animal. Like I like to put it on the wall. Mm -hmm. so it's kind of cool to have that as like this was the arrow that went through that elk or whatever mm -hmm. so i've taken two out there so now i'm down to eight and then i lost one with uh with d the other weekend at the 3d range <laughs> straight up missed um, yeah so now i'm like ah cred <laughs> so how down many seven yeah if if someone were to ask like going into season they're they're looking at how many arrows they got in the case how many is like a minimum you would say i mean maybe one right if you're lucky but like reasonably what would you recommend <laughs> someone bring I mean, into the season i think it's your ethics and your skills <laughs> you know it's that combo i don't i don't ever really plan on taking a shot i'm not like 95 percent. so i honestly if you handed me five arrows i'd be very comfortable with it yeah and, um but the reason i don't do that and why i still want a dozen is that i've always had this irrational fear that like you have five in your quiver and you like fall and your bow lands on them and it breaks them or oh. you know, scratches them all up or something and you're like well i want to swap out those mm -hmm. um so i would say quiver times two yeah quiver you know, times and, two. and also carry like four broadheads in one uh grouse point right so, hey i was gonna say there's also grouse and stuff so you lose some of those yeah. um yeah actually first arrow i ever shot at anything alive was at a grouse and it just completely disappeared the arrow just i missed it completely disappeared in the dirt i have no idea where <laughs> it's probably still there somewhere i don't know yeah but, uh, yeah oh i shot it i lost one actually shooting at a grouse last year Oh, okay. Uh, and it was a really, I was really upset that day. And it was like a 50 degree slope, one of the steepest slopes I've ever gone down. And he was in a tree. It was basically mm -hmm. like eye level. Mm -hmm. And uh, I don't, I don't know what happened. Cause I, I mean, those are usually slam dunks, but just completely whiffed. Um, I think I was just angry and didn't just like picked it up and shot it. Yeah. That arrow went out into oblivion. I mean, that thing literally <laughs> shot, like it's probably went a mile. <laughs> uh, but I'm all really excited because it went towards the main valley where we hunt. So I really, I think one day, one day I'll be hiking around in there and I'll look up and see a grouse <laughs> head on a bright red fleshed arrow. <laughs> right. That would, be, that would be crazy. Yeah, so keep your eyes out, Josh, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> so that's arrows. Um, did you end up deciding on, or anything else on arrows before you... Um, I think the, the only last thing I'd say is like the spine, it's been surprisingly difficult. I'm like right between a 350 and a 300 spine now that I'm dropping my poundage from like 68 down to like 64. Mm -hmm. So that's been really frustrating. And it's kind of like I could build a, you could always build two arrows pretty much for anybody. You could always build a heavy, you know, the shaft up 
that's like a 300, say if you're between a 300 and 350 spine, you could build a 300 that's longer, which breaks that, it makes it weaker, right? Or you could build a 350 that's shorter. Right. Does that makes sense. Yeah. And so you kind of have two options of spine at different times. And it's really funny because the long one is super heavy and the short one's like too light. I'm like, right, right. <laughs> so anyway, I just say for folks that are messing with that, always remember you can go with two different spines. And I, my thing is always go with the long one. And hmm. I'm just, I'm drawing nine, you know, 29. So I'm so close to the length of the arrow already. Right. Like I'll do, I'll shoot a, my wife who's, you know, Margaret who pulls a, uh, it's like a 27 and a half inch draw. I'll put a 30 inch arrow in her. Mm-hmm. Oh, I don't care. Like, there's no downside to shooting too long of an arrow. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah. So that's the last thing I'd say is the length. It's all runs together, right? But I feel like uh, the length thing is a hard one to nail down. Yeah. But if you had to, you'd rather go longer. Yeah. That's where I'm at. Got it. Backpack. Are you sticking yeah. with the Kuyu, the one that you've used for years? Or are you going yeah. with something so new? I remember we, we tried, talked last week about testing all these out. And I talked to a few folks and just saw what availability was and one or two of those companies had it but backing out the timeline it's like i'm not going to get these in time i might get them in time for season myself and i'm not going to get them in time to like test them and put out some great content for folks who have a great conversation here around the pros and cons of each mm-hmm. so i backed up and was like hey i don't i'm not going to be able to test all the different ones so what do you want um had a real you know, deep think around hey what are the things that really make me upset about mine Versus that now that I'm fully solo, I, you know, I, I'm, I need more room, right? I'm not mm-hmm. hunting with my, with my life partner and hunting partner, right? Um, the lady bowman anymore. So it needs to be bigger. It needs to not squeak and it needs to be more comfortable. Those are kind of the three things. Yeah. Um, and looking at all those, I looked at the new Kuyu system. I saw your, your frame and suspension last year and really liked it. And I was like, I'm just going to do that. Oh, okay. So, so I took a bot bought the frame and the suspension i still need to get the pack they're out of stock but they're coming back in oh nice um, and the main reason too is you could sell like i can sell the old pack right now for like almost 300 bucks really and i can buy the new one for like 450 it's pretty impressive wow they hold their value that well yeah i think it's just a shortage of everything these days right oh, yeah ebay is a crazy place to be so <laughs> the combo of all that i just said hey for 100 bucks this year i will gladly make that upgrade uh, right and right. test that out Nice. I'm doing the pro the pro LT four thousand bag, which is I think everything you know, I, I had the ultra suspension, you know, was it the pro series suspension, the ultra bag last time at a custom setup. But this time I'm doing yeah, the the lightweight, ultra lightweight bag, and then the they they only have one suspension now. Oh, okay. But, uh, it's basically the same weight. It's like three pounds, twelve ounces or something stupid like that. <laughs> so So you're going to the four thousand, your last one was what, thirty two hundred? 3,000. Yeah. Oh, it was 3,000. Okay. Yeah. And it's, yeah. as we talked about before, it's not just more room. It's that if you've got to pack stuff to the gills, it sticks out yeah, from your back so far. Um, it's not always annoying, but it, like it, the shape is tough versus this one's like wider and a little mm-hmm. taller. Mm-hmm. So even if I use the same amount of gear, I can get it flatter against my back. Oh, okay. Which means it's not pulling at a weird angle. It's not hitting stuff as I walk by. So uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, that four thousand will definitely be all like all the room I'd ever need. I really only need like three or four hundred more. Like three at three thousand, I'm putting like one thing one thing on the outside of my pack. Right. If right. I want everything in, I could do like thirty four hundred. But with four thousand, I'm I'm feeling good. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Um. So that's the pack. Uh, yeah. yeah. What? Uh, I mean, you're pretty set on gear, right? I think you're done for the year. 
Yeah, I just need to buy the elk call um, and like the bugle tube because I just left it at home. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Did you find one that fit your but, mouth really well last year? Uh, yeah, just the regular one yeah. worked out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I didn't try the smaller or the larger one. Yeah. But uh, I can make sounds with the regular one. Um, yeah. So. You, you generally would know if it doesn't. Okay. You know, it's like one of those things where it's like, that doesn't work. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah. It's not a, I wonder. Um, sort of deal so, so yeah well yeah. you're pretty set on gear but you were we were talking earlier today you were you're you know, well tell us what you're doing right now <laughs> yeah uh, i'm defrosting some of the axis deer and the goat meat from the trip because dude they're, <laughs> we, i just brought them back in like these giant ziploc bags you know like there's yeah. probably still hair frozen on some of them like it's it's just not good so I, and i'm headed to new york next and i just wanted to get this taken care of so i don't yeah. don't have to bring it there so yeah i was debating like oh man i have a vacuum sealer but yeah it's also in the bay area i don't really want to pay like 100 bucks for a new one and then like redo it all mm -hmm. buy all the bags and stuff so i was like maybe i'm just gonna do it the I, I saw on mediator i think one of their episodes that one of them they just used saran wrap like plastic wrap and then mm -hmm. um one layer of plastic wrap and then on the outside just put freezer paper and like tape that closed mm -hmm. so i think i'm just gonna do that so yeah nice. i got got some meat um defrosting here i just need to figure out how like i don't know i'm going to cut them in like meal sizes or like in muscle groups or something yeah. so that when i defrost it i can responsibly like eat all of it <laughs> you know yeah there's so many this is such a crazy thing to unpack i'm glad you brought it up because we'll have there's lots of questions but it's really funny because i've gone with three different butchers over the years and um for the four different elk and one of them did the saran wrap with the paper method you talked about mm -hmm. then one just did like double paper and then one did Whoa, just double vacuum paper. sealer yeah oh and then vacuum seal okay yeah and honestly like i think it was more about each individual one than the the method itself hmm. like because some of them the first two or three elk we'd eat even two three years later wow like because there was random pieces that my parents had at their house they buried in a fridge or you know something like that right it pops mm -hmm. up and like looks i mean looks fine right there might be a little freezer burn or something but i mean i feel like the vacuum ceiling is the best by a little bit then the right. strand wrap then the double wrap but i wasn't mm -hmm. like there's a massive difference oh really yeah oh huh, okay that's good to know <laughs> i think uh, i also have like a super cold deep freeze for most of it so it's not i feel like freezer burn is when it gets close to frozen or unfrozen yeah how are you thinking about i mean you're doing this but yourself right like just totally diy which for yeah. elk would be pretty crazy too like how are you thinking about that for this fall this fall i'm if if i get something um then i'm i'm definitely gonna take it to a butcher i think oh well yeah. there is the logistics of like huh, when i get it because i'm leaving i'm headed back to the bay area like after like uh like mid-october or like after mm -hmm. the first week of october so i guess if i shoot it early september <laughs> and get it to a butcher like will they be done with it by the time i leave most of them will so they almost always they offer like a extra hundred dollars for like a 24 hour oh wow too, if you really oh, that's want fast it. yeah because they've got folks that fly out next day right Come oh. out saturday night and they're like i gotta get this done yeah. right so basically just put it at the front of the queue well you don't necessarily want that either because it doesn't really have time to age right although most stuff you backpack out you don't really want to age that long anyway <laughs> uh yeah so they'll do that quick but i feel like the average turnaround time is probably two weeks oh that's not that's and historically okay. but last year was super messed up because of the covid stuff 
Oh, that's why. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. It took my, I mean, it took like two Yeah, it took yours forever. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Yep. Okay. That's yeah. good to know. Um, so I, that, in that case, I'll probably end up going with the butcher. It's because mm. like, then you can get the burger and like sausage and all that mm. stuff. Was it, is it, how much is a butcher usually? You probably told me before, but I, forget. I think it's like 250 to 300 for base fee. Okay. The base and fee then, is like everything in, uh, cut steaks. up and packaged and good steaks and, uh, burger generally it depends on the butcher but usually that includes just straight grind burger yeah fine, right but if you want to add some fat to it uh you know like a dollar a pound or 50 cents a pound or whatever it is right then like the sausage is three and the jerky is eight and all that stuff right right okay okay so it could be 250 up to like yeah uh, let's say like 400 500 bucks 500 bucks yeah got it and but then you get a lot of meat right how, how much meat did you get off the i think, I think when we weighed it weighted in and that was boned out literally nothing else mm-hmm. um and we took a good amount of the meat we didn't take a ton of the neck meat mm-hmm. um and that was like 180 or 190 wow okay yeah so yeah that's uh you're the butcher traditionally they'll call it shrinkage right so if you take it in 20 30 percent lighter because they're trimming uh, stuff off of it it's yada yada but we oh. actually gained a little weight because we had so much of it done into sausage and they're an organic processor, so we love it when they add a little bit of organic fat. Nice. Say 5%. So mm-hmm. between all those things, they actually added a little bit. So it kind of netted out about 200. Wow. Yeah. Damn. How long does that last you guys? It's surprisingly short, man. We're like really? we're already down below half of it. And we got the thing in like December and there's only what? Two and a half of us eating it, you know? Whoa. Um, we're, we're making making moves on the elk. Yeah. And we probably <laughs> eat three or four pounds a week because mm-hmm. we'll do it for lunch for dinner for i mean any it's just the ultimate substitute meat right oh my gosh why would you ever eat basic like nasty factory chicken or just random beef mm-hmm. right? i love a good steak i'll eat a good beef steak and you know high quality chicken every now and then really good but 90 percent of the stuff we're eating is the the elk so yeah oh man um when I come by this this fall, I'm gonna have to make you a really good steak. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for that, with the smoker and the charcoal grill. And everything. Oh yeah, <laughs> but Deal. Uh, you're on. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah. So yeah, I'll probably go with the butcher. Is there anyone yeah. you wouldn't recommend a butcher to? I guess outside of cost, like, is there any reason you wouldn't go with the butcher? Yeah, well, I think it's more. I think it's more about like the right butcher. Mm. This is a big one. Like, really, there's like a few very essential questions to ask. And one of them is like, what do you do as far as like keeping track of my meat? By yeah. my meat, I mean my meat. Cause some of them do like a communal, excuse me, I'm about to like hiccup here. I think we're good. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, they do a communal sausage thing where basically you bring it in, they put 20 pounds in a giant pot of elk meat and they pull out 20 pounds. It's already been made into sausage. Right. Right. Because the problem is they've, like you said, they've got a week or two week timeline and they don't want to set up and prep that uh, equipment for every single batch. They're lazy, right? Or it's just, it's just a lot easier to do that way. Yeah. More efficient. Um, Yeah. Which drives me absolutely bonkers because I took so much care. You know, I made sure that thing was clean. I spent the time butchering and I carried that sucker all the way out and I'm paying you money. Mm-hmm. And now you're just going to blend it with the dude who like dragged it through the dirt and then just like <laughs> chucked it in the back of the truck and drove it in. Um, so I definitely would ask that that's like, I would, you know, I don't know if I'd go How do you with phrase that. Like, do you say like, do you, do you mix the meat? Do you just keep them separate? Do you just ask that or 
Yeah, you just sauce straight up. Like, do you, you know, if you make sausage, is it going to be only my meat mm. or are you going to mix it? And they'll, they'll tell you. And a lot of them, the ones that do mix it, just start, they treat it like, oh, that's normal. Right. right? They're like, oh, yeah, like everyone does that. Right. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so that's one to ask. Uh, two is like how they wrap and package, right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, it's if they're like, oh, we just wrap it in plastic. That was the one that came back double bagged. We weren't that stoked on. Right. Versus someone's like, oh, we make sure that we like seal it. We pat it dry so that they get a good seal on the vacuum seal. Like you can tell their attention to detail. Right. Just by talking to them um, from that. And then I think the third bit is like timeline. Because if you ask the timeline question, they, if it's again, someone that cares about their craft, they're like, oh, well, we want it to age this long because then this, and then, then we'll break it down and then we'll deep freeze it in the sausage. Since that's separate, it has to be this, right? Mm -hmm. Um, the other time you'll see it when they're keeping your meat totally separate is they, they'll charge you or make sure you buy minimum amounts of sausage oh. and other things because they're not going to process, set up all the equipment for two pounds, which is right. like $6. Right, so like right. You got a minimum of 20 or 30 pounds or whatever it is. Oh, okay. Um, so those are all things, like in my mind, that's the most important stuff to ask with the butcher. Yeah. Uh, where, where do you get the fat you put in it if you're going to do that? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they often always have samples, not just elk, but if they're a good butcher, they're doing uh, local animals year round. So you could be like, oh, well, like what's your, this tastes like? And they should have one in the fridge right there. Oh, no way. Oh, that's yeah. cool. So you could either buy it from them or sometimes they'll carve you off a piece. Yeah. Um, what's your yeah. favorite like tasty treat or like extra thing to get when oh, you go to the butcher? Yeah. They have some so many the, options. Yeah. Some of the summer sausage has been unbelievable. Oh. Yeah. Just cutting that. That's been. Do they really put good. some pork fat in there, or how do they do that? I think they put a little bit of pork fat. Again, we know ours is organic, so we're pretty excited about that. Um, mm -hmm. But they, this one, they actually put jalapeno in. Ooh, I'm not a spicy guy, but it's it's more the flavor, like very. And we asked them because they did like a cheddar jalapeno one. We tried that. And we're like, oh, right? it's like oh, you Velveeta. didn't like it? No, it's like uh, Velveeta crap. You know, it's like yeah, no, oh, huh. Um, Sounded but we really liked the jalapeno, so we added like mild jalapeno. And oh my gosh, dude, that's so good! Yeah, that one's yeah. really good. We just love burgers straight up. I mean, that's yeah, we eat that like crazy. But <laughs> some of the bratwurst, yeah, that one really depends on the the butcher. The butcher, yeah, yeah. They, this place we go to has a has a sausage guy. His entire job is just doing the sausage stuff. Oh, nice! Uh, and they've that's got cool. some really good ones. But I feel like that's super dependent on the yeah. Yeah. I feel like that stuff's cool. Like now that you have a place and everything, like, would you ever consider processing your own um, elk? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, the, the hardest part of the logistics is all the coolers and the stuff to transport it. So if guys mm -hmm. want to do, you see a lot of guys from the East coast who will bring literally generators in a, in a tiny chest freezer. Right. The fridge, and they'll just like, right. put it in the bed of their pickup. That's basically what you have to do because even if I got it home, oh. now I've got to, I can't throw it in the freezer, my giant chest freezer. I can't chuck it in there because it'll freeze. Right, right. You've got to have some sort of massive form of refrigeration. Mm -hmm. um, and then you've got to be quick. Right. So yeah. I don't really want to buy like three giant coolers and deal with that. Yeah. I was going to say, because it'd be fun to like make your own sausage or like yeah. make your own burger, or, like cut the, you know, the steaks and everything. Then you do like hands-on, also just the symbolic like feeling of and that pride of being hands-on like the entire process all the way down yeah. to like butchering it that'd be yeah. kind of cool that's another thing too about mixing the meat because then like you're sharing with friends like did you shoot this and you're like 
Yeah, I mean, maybe. So. <laughs> someone, someone did. Right. Yeah. And it's a slippery slope too, because I'd say the majority of things everyone gets is burger, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, hmm, are they grinding a lot of things together? You know what I mean? Oh, you don't deer you don't really and stuff. Know. No, I mean just like if they're gonna set up the burger grinder, are they just gonna be like, well, screw it, we'll just kind of grind all this elk meat together and divvy it up in one go, like all mm-hmm. the meat that's to be ground today. Mm-hmm. They're probably not going to separate that. Most of them are really vague about that. If you ask them, like, uh, well, I don't know. Most of the time, no, hmm. right? But interesting. I guarantee if they're slammed during hunting season, they might just take all the meat for the day and just push it through the grinder. Oh, it's not just sausage. See what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Anyway, interesting. Well, um, what? And you, uh, you've got some decisions to make about taxidermy too. Yeah, last year, kind of have to have that figured out. Yeah. So I was like, part of me, well. First of all, I don't have a house to put it in. Um, so yeah. I'll have to have it put it in storage or something, or I'll, I'll have to figure that out. So that, that's your mom first. definitely wants one, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know what? I could give it to my brother. He can hold on to it for a little bit. There you go. He's got it. a garage, right? Yeah, yeah. He's got a garage. And yeah. or maybe they, he could put it in his house in Tahoe for a bit. Yeah, I don't know. I could, so that that's one uh, factor to figure out. But, but then there are things that will be worth it to have like like obviously if i shoot like a freaking giant six by six then that is definitely i'm going to get a taxidermy yeah right just because it's just so cool yeah. it's like once in a lifetime lifetime out potentially um if i shoot a cow obviously not so okay now it gets down to like <laughs> what size bull <laughs> yeah is, is that the question like do i just go hmm, five by five yes four yeah. by four no spike no or or is it like wow any bull like because it's my first one there's the meaning behind it like like yes just any bull i'll just get a tax so i'm trying to figure that out yeah yeah well, i think it's just about the meaning because i was always pretty anti-taxidermy it just kind of looked weird to me but i think with this other one it just that's so much meaning and it's so cool it's like it was a no-brainer like i was like absolutely mm-hmm. so you probably would know it in the moment um but i did i think i got my first i know i got my first one uh, euro mounted because i didn't when I was totally solo up there with no support, there was no way I had time to keep oh, the thing. That's right. That's right. Um, and it was, it's really great. I mean, it's like a nice leather Euro mount on a wood, like classy wood plaque. And it's really cool. And then mm-hmm. there's the skull version, which you've said you like too, right? Just yeah. the bleach skull. Mm-hmm. So I think there's really cheap. And that's only like 200 bucks, hundred bucks for the Euro mount. For the Euro. Yeah. Maybe 300 if it's a really expensive taxidermist, but. Right. Yeah. yeah so I don't know. Like, part of me wants to if i get a bull to just get it but then it's like if i don't know <laughs> yeah if it's like a spike do i still get it that'd be kind of a funny looking taxidermy you know, <laughs> you know what i mean like but so I mean, then whatever so, it's a trophy to you it's any any public land elk is a trophy that'd be yeah it's true people. yeah yeah so I, I have one voice in my head that's like any bull just get a taxidermy it's your first elk like there's so much meaning and story behind it memories and whatnot and then the other half of me is like, okay, only if I get a big enough one. But then I'm having the conversation of like, how big does it have to be to be taxidermy yeah. worthy? You is know, it really about convers- the size of the animal. Yeah. yeah. Then that yeah. conversation just seems weird to me. So, like, I don't I think know. it's Maybe. also a budget thing too. You know, it's fourteen hundred bucks to do it. It's not cheap, and it's heavy. It's huge. It's hard to. Like, it's just the convenience of it. Yeah, I think if you're 
euro. <laughs> probably one you take a moment like with me. I mean, as long as you like know your tax determinants and what you need to do. Like mm-hmm. we talked about. And I think we figured that out last year, right? But right. if you got that, then I think you might be like, no, this is the most amazing thing ever. And I, I absolutely want to, this thing. You could do it. But if you're like, no, oh, I'm good. Man, it's so hard to decide because part of me is like, all right, 1400 bucks. Like, I don't know about that. Like the euro is pretty cool. You still have all the memories and stuff. But then the other part of me is like, ooh, but if it's a really big pool, <laughs> <laughs> then like having all the trouble of putting in storage for like five years, whatever it is, till I move into a big, like a house or whatever, yeah. then having that up there would be really sweet. Just so, well, <laughs> I want you to shoot a six by six, probably, <laughs> five by five or whatever the heck, a monster. And I want you to make this a problem. That'd be really a good place. That's to be. so true. Yeah. yeah. So I yeah. guess for now, I'm just going to get a Euro, I think. Yeah, that'd probably yeah. be a good way. It's probably you could just do the top of the skull and then you can do Euro or the bleach. You know, you could do either, right? Right, right. Just take the oh, thing out. So a Euro versus the skull, do they call it the same thing? What do, what do people call it? I don't that? know, actually, off the top of my head. I know the Euro mount is when they, I think they skull plate it and they wrap it in something. But I oh, don't okay. know if they call the, the bleach skull, top portion of the skull, Euro mount or not. I gotcha, gotcha. I like that bleach skull look a lot. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. Um, yeah, so I'll have to decide that. But I have decided that if a cow walks up day one, I'm shooting it. So yeah. any any offer, any first shootable elk besides calf, uh, I'm gonna first cow or bull any size. Nice. I'll, I'll take. Well, that's that's the most important thing. But no, it's a good. I mean, these are all good questions to figure out because they tie into each other, like everything elk hunting. Which is you're like, hey, this is where's my butcher? You know, you go grill them, and then then you gotta if you're gonna. Do, talk taxidermy too you should have a conversation of hey would i be able to leave head like overnight or something oh yeah not, we... then you need to find your taxidermist and figure out like are they open on weekends and how you get in touch with them and right, there's a right. lot of logistics that are like now is the time right yeah First, did we ever tell the story about your taxidermy situation last year because that that was that's kind of an interesting i don't think i think we talked a little bit about the season recap but yeah i remember we kind of made the made the decision when it happened mm-hmm of like uh, so this is a lifetime bull i mean mm-hmm. it's huge it's it's all the meaning of all this stuff let's do it so we can... <laughs> i mean we'll just sum it up quick but i remember we we didn't i had never caped out an animal before mm-hmm. um, i knew the cut there but it was more the head and the lips and the antlers i didn't want to screw up so we literally just cut the entire head off <laughs> yeah and caped it out and uh golly that was heavy <laughs> yeah the pictures were cool but man that yeah. thing was heavy Although honestly, I talked to the taxidermist and he's like, this is by far the best way to do it. He's like, oh, really? You can't imagine how many times we get people that butcher it or think they did a good job or think they've done it 10 times the right way. And he's like, even the cutting the gums back, they don't cut it far enough. And the right. you know, excess skin on the eye, like just all these little things that I'm like, I guess that's how I do it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Funny. And then you had to find a place to to keep it cool right because we had we got the bull off the mountain mm-hmm. and then it was like okay crap like, what where are we gonna because you hadn't really considered taxing before and nope so yeah i got lucky because right? uh the people you know the, the previous year i'd killed an elk day one um and gone to this husband wife that does better butchers down south and uh almost said some names there Whew uh down south and they they knew us from last year we hung out with them for like 30 minutes got to know them um and so it was awesome because when i got this one i just called him up and i said hey i'm the guy that because we talked about work <laughs> strangely uh-huh. enough it's like hey i'm the guy that worked at this i was there last year he's like dang dude you got another one it's like yeah 
And I was like, how about leaving it in the facility overnight? He's like, oh, we don't ever allow that. But yeah, I'd do it for you. Oh, nice. <laughs> really cool. Yeah. He was like, I'll just leave it in the prep area. You know, he's like, if you come in tomorrow and there's maggots and stuff, like I'm going to ask you to clean it and do yada, yada, yada. Um, yeah. But it was really clean and it was fine. And I uh, left it there overnight. Got a hotel room like 10 minutes from their place next morning. Uh, woke up and then went straight to the taxidermist when they opened it like 10 a.m. on Monday. So. Oh, so they literally just let you store it in a cool place overnight. Yeah, just literally in the in the giant freezer or fridge for the night. Oh, man, that's uh, cool. Yeah, and I offered them money and they were really kind and said no. Uh, wow. But you could probably throw a few, you know, 20, 30, 40 bucks at a butcher and hope they'd do that. Yeah, just rent um, your freezer for a night. <laughs> Elk yeah, problems. Yeah. <laughs> hey, so. do you have a really big fridge? I can put this in, please. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it had the handlers on the head and everything. It was, yeah. <laughs> I think it was literally like four or five feet wide. It's right. not a small deal. So just, just sitting in the bottom, the middle of this giant room, it was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah so anyway, think ahead. <laughs> yeah. It's funny because I'm like, Mr. Boy Scout, as far as planning a lot of the elk stuff, so I don't have to think about it in season. I can just like truly enjoy the moment. But I, like you said, I just never thought about taxidermy as a thing and do. Right. Um, so it was really funny. funny and then experience. the update is uh, that one you dropped off, They're gonna it's going to be ready in September, October. So it takes about a year. And oh, yeah. Fingers crossed I'll be dropping mine off this year. Well, for something, maybe a euro. But uh, yep. this year while we go pick yours up, that'd be cool. I'm really excited. It's been... Um, What's really weird for me, because everyone that's seen it is like, dude, that's, a, that's easily a Pope and Young animal. Yeah, mm -hmm. you should get it measured and scored and get the plaque and get the thing. And I've really had this back and forth in my head of like, do I want to do that? Because, mm -hmm. uh, you know, the cons of it are you're kind of making it about the trophy. You're making it about all that sort of stuff. You're putting an entry in the record book in the area you hunt. So it's now more interesting <laughs> for people, mm -hmm. right? Versus... And especially now that I live here, I'm just like, nope, nope. Elk hunting sucks over near here. Leave it alone. <laughs> yeah. um, so there's a lot of like downsides there, but then the upside is like, it'd be very cool to, to have that plaque. I don't know why, just to see the, not, not so much the like Boone and Crockett certificate, but more like the measurements and like understanding just how big that animal was and like what a unique thing it, it was. And like, that's a lifetime deal to get a Pope and young animal um, with a bow. And so I don't know. It's, I go back and forth. But yeah. I really wanted to go over there and measure it just to know. But I mean, that should sell. That should tell you something right there. We didn't even measure it, <laughs> right? <laughs> like it's straight in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so well, yeah, we'll humans see. are humans are weird, right? Like what we give meaning to. But I, I guess like it. I wonder if like why people like like the giant antlers and stuff. And mm -hmm. I wonder if there is some like something that goes back to hunter gatherer, like our ancestors, whatever. That were like you know those the giant antler usually correlated with a giant bull bigger mm -hmm. bull means more meat you know it's like something to celebrate and they're just cool to look at i don't know yeah. where that comes from but and like don't get me wrong i want to kill big animals like i really want to shoot the, like but that's that's just natural like you want to do the best of what you're doing mm -hmm. but i think the part i struggle with is like when you take that into like quantification right i think i do enough of that <laughs> let me put it this way i've met a lot of guys in my life that are really good at quantification in every area of their life and they're miserable <laughs> right numbers are they're good for business or something where you need to be emotionless and cold but i, I just i'm the ultimate numbers guy too but i just like i hesitate to take that in something i love to do right like, yeah i don't want to be like oh i shot this massive six point but wait it's actually not bigger than my five by five score you know like what really right, like, right. <laughs> that's such a bad way to do life i think um 
So I don't know. That's what yeah. I struggle with. Is like, do I really want to know, even know the number, mm-hmm. and just be like, oh, it's a beautiful, stinking animal, and just leave it there. Um, right. So we'll see. But either way, like you said, <laughs> like no, we can't get it down from the rack until October. So <laughs> I guess this year at least, I won't have to worry about that. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully, I shoot something again. I have a problem with. Let's both get some problems this year. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh man, do we do this or not? Nah? Yeah. All right, all right. But the moment we've all been waiting for, like. This is it. Point blank. Have you been working out, Josh? Tell the people uh, what you've been doing. I, I haven't joined a gym yet, but no. I, uh, <laughs> I know. But I have been doing a lot of pull-ups and push-ups and running a lot. Um, okay. All so, right. Yeah. I'll take it. <laughs> I'm take just it. like maintaining. But you know what? I mean, you're in pretty good shape right now. So maintaining is a pretty good place to be. Yeah, I'm, I'm in decent shape for a skinny guy. But um, in New York, I will join a gym. So at least I don't get wrecked when I get to your place and you guys are just going to destroy me in the gym. So yeah, I'll, I'll do one of those expensive, whatever, one month things. Turns out the 24 fitness, there's not no, it's pretty cheap. that yeah. many 24 sevens in the country. So I didn't want to do like a full membership and huh. not know where I'm going and whatnot. But I'm just going to do whatever gym's closest to my place in New York and pay the whatever they charge and you know, I work nice. later hours there. So that'll be good. So July will be building and then get to uh, your place and just get wrecked by you and you and our friend D. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like we talked about, you can't build too much fitness too close, but I think strength training is good. Excuse me. That first three or four weeks of strength training is pretty good because it does. Um, we found like a lot of the stuff I was doing with racing mountain bikes back in the day. And then the triathlon stuff it really was good for injury prevention right because it just makes it so that if you bend over and grab something and it's you're not tweaking that muscle out so even yeah. though i would never I'd say like starting in july with most things is a bad idea i think even three or four weeks that's good what i definitely don't want to do though is i don't want to bring you out here and just like pound you and because I've, I've noticed i mean i've done a we didn't get our gym until april-ish with all the covid stuff mm-hmm. here and uh you really can't do a lot of ex- endurance exercise when you are really lifting heavy oh. and yourself up, you know? So it's really tough. I would much rather you go out and do cardiovascular long distance stuff than yeah. put on an extra five pounds of lifting weight. You know, I was thinking about getting a weighted vest and starting to run with that, like not crazy, you know, just mm-hmm. 10 pounds or five pounds even, but, um, just to start, what are your thoughts there on weighted stuff? Uh, you know, I like your ankles. you probably like them more than I do? <laughs> But <laughs> no, nah, I think I have like, I have just generally flat feet and weak ankles. So I'd be uh, terrified of adding weight there. But if you're, I mean, you're kind of a long time runner. So, um, I'd say you couldn't hurt. Right. I don't, yeah. I've never used it. So I can't really comment on. Yeah. I've just heard thing. to add weight, like very little at a time. Cause yeah. Yeah. Can, yeah. yeah. But definitely hurt yourself. Running is just, it's just hard on your body. Yeah, I got to build gradually. Yeah. But how about you? You've been messing with some new stuff with the new gym you got? Like new, any new strain training stuff? Or what yeah. have you been thinking about in terms of fitness lately? No, I've been building, again, with strength training, I build super slow. And then my general like month and a half until now has been like only twice a week, only about 30, 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's amazing because I've regained like 80, 85% of my maxes, old maxes. Wow. Um, yeah, I think your body's just it's conditioned, you know, even three, two, three years later after you're lifting heavy, like it just kind of goes back. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been really good, but I think I'm going to go to like three a week during June ish. Yeah. And then come July, mid July, July, even early July, I'm going to go back down to two. 
like, I'm just going to pure maintain at that point. And then right. August, right before season, I'm going to go to one zero. Oh, okay. Uh, for strength. Cause that's, I really don't see the benefit of strength um, training versus really working on the cardio stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Very controversial yeah. statement there, Baxter. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> I put my money off is, I guess. Yeah. The guy who owns a gym and has it in his garage and can use it anytime. Um, I'm still going to go out for a two hour bike ride over a heavy session in July. Oh yeah, that's true. Especially getting that close, right? Um, yeah, but weighted packs, I'm excited to start that. I've been looking at some water bladders for packs. I think that's oh. something we'll do really well in August. Thank you. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm excited for that. I will definitely yeah. put on a weighted pack and go hiking with you guys. That's going to be fun. Yeah. That's gonna be I love the water. Wing. Yeah. I love the, traditionally I've used water bladders because you can dump them at the top too. So you save, your <laughs> down, you know? Yeah. Oh, save your knees. Yeah. 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 And I love the idea of, I don't know why, but I'm super jazzed. Like go water one plant, <laughs> like, <laughs> like two or three times a week for two months. And like everyone that goes up to the top of this thousand foot hill behind us, the East Coast, I guess that's called a mountain here. It's called a hill. Mm-hmm. Um, it would come up and be like, what the heck is that one plant? It's just like killing it. <laughs> <laughs> They're like, you're hiking up there. Super hard. Man, what are you doing up? Dude, there's, there's this one plant up there. I, I really yeah, care about it. I, I want really to really <laughs> care about that plant. That's all I do. I just carry 30 pounds of water up here every day and dump water on that sucker. Um, well, who knows? Maybe I'll like get a whole, oh, there we go. I'll get an entire family of chucker. I'll just like create a sinkhole basically. I'll get all the chucker because it butts up against some land I can hunt. I'll get all the chucker in the area to come there. And I'll be able to hunt those after elk season. Just build a man-made little pond up there. Master plan. <laughs> <laughs> my own guzzler. My own personal guzzler. That's so funny. Oh, jeez. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're gonna have good times in August either way. Yeah, it's gonna be cool. But yeah. um, yeah, that's what we got for today. That's our June so, check-in. Um, yeah. Oh, well, we got some. Actually, actually, we've got D right now out pulling cams. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yep. Yeah, because we're, you know, I got to go up there last weekend, not to the elk spot, but within like 20 miles of it. Uh, and it was like doing a little scouting because I think I've gotten enough flack about the scouting stuff and I now have the opportunity to be here. I'm like, I should do, I should play devil's advocate. I should go scout a few times. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Um, Try it out. Yeah. Just to make and you're sure here. That, yeah. Make sure what I'm saying is true. Right. Um, yeah, so it was really cool to see elk last weekend and hear him talking and all that good stuff. That's so cool. Yeah, to, to Paul's point, like they definitely talk a lot of the same way they talked in the fall. No bugles, heard, but oh, I was gonna say, yeah, little little uh, cow mews and yips and stuff. Wow, uh, which is fun. But yeah, he's so he's up there at our spot right now. And Josh, what happened last fall? <laughs> oh yeah, this is pretty funny. <laughs> um, so you got the elk your last day hunting you had to even extend the rv a day and like just rush out of there get the meat to the butcher get the head to the freezer and the taxidermy. so then d and i were left hunting in the area and you're like oh can you grab my cameras for me and I'm like, yeah sure we'll grab them. so on the last day <laughs> i go to grab the camera and i just can't find it <laughs> I even better to- d was like i don't know where they are or i'm not gonna grab them either like it was just a total miscommunication right? it was hilarious because yeah uh, D thought I was going to grab him and then I went to go grab him and I, oh yeah, no, yeah. I think he was going to grab one, one of them, 
but I don't yeah. know if he ended up grabbing that one. Yeah, I don't know. And then it's... I was like, okay, maybe I'll go grab them. And then I just couldn't find them. And so they were still there. <laughs> it turns out texting someone the location of a game cam in, you know, 50 square miles of wilderness is it's really difficult. hard. <laughs> yeah. Especially if you put it somewhere you want it to be hidden so people can't find it. Especially um, if the guy looking for him doesn't have a good sense of direction. You know, I wasn't <laughs> like going to see it, but <laughs> <laughs> no, well, it's like, it's like me describing like a, crack in the road a mile down the street you know like good luck <laughs> finding that right um so it was really really funny because i was like i guess they're gonna keep rolling uh mm-hmm. so they've been out there they're waterproof and they've been out there all year long so we're we're really excited because we want to see what they have on them like all of september they were there all of october november december january <laughs> i mean the whole, yeah. and they're probably under 10 12 feet of snow so it'll be really interesting to see what's on those cams yeah, it's pretty cool. Actually, do you want to touch on trail cams a bit? Like who should buy them? Who shouldn't buy them? What are they for? Or is that a whole episode in itself? <laughs> I mean, it could be. We could spend five minutes on it. I don't, yeah. uh, and I think there's guys that debate the ethics of them and all that sort of stuff. But it, you know, I'll just say, I don't really use them like as a hunting tool. I kind of do, but I don't, I'm more cu- just curious. Like it's really cool to see that area. So I used to carry two of them. I mean, it's a way for me to learn basically. So I'd carry two and I'd put one down. I used to carry one backpacking. That's an extra two or three pounds. Uh, but that's why you save weight on your other gear, right? Um, but I would put it up at night near our tent hmm. uh, we're backpacking just to see like, am I going crazy or is this, you know, and also to tell that the, how old sign was, right? All these things, right? Like, it's just a way to know. And so I'd put it up near the tent, just see what happened overnight. Um, and then I used to, now I kind of leave them in two different areas that we know are choke points. And what's fascinating me, to me in the area we're at, uh, is that one year, the lower choke point, when there was a lot of snow in there, got a ton of traffic. Then the other year when it was drier, the upper area got a decent amount of traffic. So for me too, it's also mentally helping me understand like when and why and how and where the animals move. Mm. It's like we talked about, like I intimately, intimately know that area. And I now know like the corridors and where they go. But now I'm learning like what, what makes them move to different areas and what times of the year that happens. Um, right. And then the, how I use them for hunting, like I actually, since we run the circuit in a bunch of different areas, I'll drop them early in the circuit and then I'll come back, you know, what day later if I'm, it's good and I'm going to go run that same circuit again, or I might come back a week later, whatever it is. When I first go into it, I can look at those cams and flip through all the photos and just see are the elk still generally in the area. You know, it's not like white tail where you're like, oh, 856, this thing's hitting this every night, right? Like it doesn't yeah. work that way with elk, which is why I'm also, you know, totally fine using cams. Um, but I'll come back and I'll say, oh yeah, they're in here. So I'm not going to go waste a day of effort versus one or two times I've gone in and nothing on the lower cam, nothing on the upper cam. Right. Okay. Time to move them. Right. So you're not like, so, uh, some guys are like putting like, a ton of cameras there on specific wallows and like mm-hmm. specific areas they like to hunt just to find like that big bull that and, yep. and like see if they want to go hunt them. You don't really use them that way. You use it more to learn like general patterns, I guess, in the area. Yeah, generally. I mean, because again, yeah. I'm not, uh, I'm not going to use the loaded term trophy hunter. I'm not like trying to target just certain animals or anything like that. And they also, I mean, elk, dude, if you, they're going to move, right? Like mm-hmm. you might see them on a cam one day, but early season, I've seen the same elk you know, five, 10 days in a row. But again, that also helps me learn that, right? Where I know early season, they'll be, might stick in the same area. Mm. Late season, never, right? They're going to keep moving. Right. Um, and I know the inflection of when that happens, like what dates they do that. And that generally means that's when the rut's starting because they're moving around looking for things. And 
so again, I'm learning like crazy with them, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also, I honestly, I also keep them there to see hunters. And that's part of the reason I set up on corridors that the elk use and the hunters use. Oh, interesting. Because um, I really want to know what kind of pressure and when. Right. Um, like we talked about the, like my single most important thing is like, where are the humans? And so there's times I've gone in and I've seen three sets of hunters on my cam in the past two days. I'm like, oh, this is, I'm out of here. Right, right. Um, so it's really cool to see that too. Yeah. Yeah. You thought Facebook was creepy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, wait, that's the guy with that shirt. Yeah, oh, he's guy. from there. Yeah. He's <laughs> a Californian. Oh, so, yeah. I've got you all over my cams. <laughs> um, yeah. So another, but I'm excited to see what those pull because I've never obviously done a ton outside of season just because I haven't had the chance to not live in local. So. Yeah, he's yeah, yeah. Uh, he's actually flipping batteries and cards, so they should just keep going all summer long. Oh, that'll be interesting to to see what they do in the summer and how that changes in the fall too. Yeah, and we've got a really dry. I mean, for guys that are non-residents, Idaho and Colorado, both places are very dry this year. Hmm. I think parts of central Colorado aren't that dry, and way northern Idaho isn't as dry. But like southern Idaho and western Colorado are both 70 percent average. Oh whoa! So what I'm saying is, this normally you couldn't get up to where we hunt anything over seven, eight thousand feet um, until mid July, sometimes late June. But this year, it's already dry. It's already open. Interesting. June first, so it's going to be. What I'm trying to say is, it's going to be an interesting year because it's going to be very dry. Is this a year for sitting in wallows a little bit more than before? Maybe or? at the beginning of the season. I think it's a year for finding. Uh, this is the the tidbit to those folks that stuck through the whole episode, right? That are non-residents, but it's definitely a year for finding dependable water supplies. Mm. So when you're doing your e-scouting, it's not finding that random little wallow that looks kind of good. It's about finding that big lake or that really, really big stream um, that seems to be so, so large. It's just definitely going to be there. Interesting. Yeah. So for those of you stuck around for the June check-in, you got a nice little tidbit that'll apply directly this fall in three yeah. months. Crazy. That also generally means you're going to have to be a little higher altitude. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> all I'm going to say. Maybe we'll get a little more in our July check-in. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, yeah. Cool. Anything else? I think that's it, man. I think that's what we're both doing right now, right? I don't- yes, sir. Don't think there's anything else, you know, time to, time to get fired up. It's close. It's stinking close. Three months away. I can't believe it. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited. (laughs) Cool. Well, uh, for those stuck around, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back with our monthly check-in in in July. Hopefully I'll have a, definitely have a gym membership and maybe brush up. Well, hopefully definitely we'll see brush up on my L calling. Maybe I could demonstrate Wrong commitment. <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. I'll probably definitely maybe, maybe brush possibly. up on my uh, L calling and, and can show you guys or. Uh, Ooh, that'd be good. I okay, like cool. That. I'll, I'll demonstrate a, my best cow call next Ooh. in July for our check-in. <laughs> I like it under pressure. Just like, the real <laughs> <deal>. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, and then if you like our show, please, we would love it. If you would leave a review, really appreciate it. Our mission is to continue to foster people in the elk hunting community mentorship and, uh, learn and grow together. So if you know anyone else who's interested in that stuff, please leave us a review. It helps to get the word out to other listeners. And other than that, we'll catch you on the next one.